Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about comics in just a moment, but first we have some news to share. Uh, this news broke on Friday morning that DC Comics and Walmart will be partnering for four exclusive monthly comics. They are 100-page giants. They will focus on Superman, the Teen Titans, Batman, and Justice League. There's a pretty impressive um, creative team attached to these books, and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But, gentlemen, I don't think any of us are particularly enamored with Walmart, but how do you feel about DC making this sort of deal to expand its reach beyond just the comic shops and the internet? Vince, uh, let's start with you. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I think it's a... I think it's something that should have happened a long time ago, and frankly, I think like it's kind of a slam dunk. But also, they never seem—they never seem to get it right when DC or Marvel tries this stuff. Like to me, comics and superheroes and things are like the hot commodity right now, and that they haven't figured out a way to successfully get those, like the actual physical comics, into Target and Walmart and whatever in a way that's like agreeable or digestible for the average normie person who walks in is really surprising to me. So I think any attempts at it are a positive thing, but I'm not sure if this particular, we'll talk more about that, but I'm not sure this particular way of going about, I, I'm of two minds on it, I guess. Zach, what do you think about it? Um, I don't know if there's ever going to be a good way to make comic books mainstream again. Like, obviously, superheroes are very mainstream, but comic books are not. Um, and I don't see this being... I don't I don't see this being a huge thing. I'm kind of interested to see how it's rolled out. Like, are these going to be in the magazine section? Are they going to be at checkout lanes? Like, how I don't know how they're going to present this or face it um in order to like generate enough interest to get people to buy it i do think that the the price point is pretty good for the amount that you're getting um and they did pick some really great books to reprint generally i think um do we want to go through like the contents of everything uh, may I share my opinion first? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, I I think everything you guys said is, is very much true. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but I have you know very distinct memories of places like uh, Kmart and Toys R Us having the sort of six-pack of comics where you could see the covers of three books but not the ones behind it. You know what I'm talking about? Like those... Yeah, there was like collections, and that that was a staple of like going to Kmart with my mom, you know, ha- having her buy me one of those. And uh, I think for a lot of people around my age, that that's that's there's definitely a memory of buying comics in places that weren't comic shops, maybe even more so than than like for you guys who are just a couple years younger than than I am. So I think it, in a way it it could work. I think what's really tough is. Because it's not going to be all new stories, I think you're expecting a lot of the reader to to jump from nothing 
to reading the Terrifics number one, which comes off uh, a huge event that's not going to be reprinted, mm. and that has like so much history built into it. It's just it's a that's a huge leap for me. That I don't I don't know if people are going to make that leap necessarily. And for a lot of the books that are being reprinted, I think they're very good books. But if you're attracting a new audience, I don't know if these are necessarily the books to go with. That's a good. That's a really good point. Um, one thing I di- I just remembered that I did want to bring up is um, DC has already tried to kind of infiltrate the Walmart market. Do you guys remember when they did those Rebirth three packs? Yes. Yeah. About a year ago. Yeah. Hey, that must did, have gone well. I guess so. Um, but also, I wanted to bring up that we were traveling. We we took a road trip a couple weeks ago, and we stopped at a gas station. Um, I don't remember what the. It was a kind of like a national like chain, but I can't remember which one. But they had shrink wrapped um, trades, DC oh, trades, in wow. the like in there. I can't remember everything they had but the one that stuck stood out were um a couple volumes of kurt busek uh action comics from like the mid 2000s wow yeah it was like the it was like the camelot falls arc it wasn't a come and go it was like a loves or a pilot or something like that okay um but yeah i thought that was really weird (laughs) that is weird and from that era too that's yeah I, I had a really un, like I think it's a smart idea, but it's also a bad idea, which is that the perfect time to have done this would have been the new fifty two yeah, because everything was so supposedly new reader friendly at that point that you could have reprinted all those number ones, and it would have been for all intents and purposes the easiest jumping on point like in a couple of decades, yeah, yeah, well, it is funny, like how many of these books are new fifty two books. Yeah, and I'm sure that's, that's not true, yeah. unintentional. You know what, though? Like, you can... I mean, disagree with me. I might be full of shit here, but I almost think that it's time for DC and Marvel to stop doing the thing where they, like, print the easy-to-get-into, easy-to-follow ones and just pick, like, what they think are the highest-quality ones. Because maybe part of the problem is... People get these books and they're like incredibly entry level or something and they're really not thrilled by them where like maybe by showing them something truly different, it gets them excited about it. I mean maybe what maybe like putting really high quality stuff, putting your best foot forward is going to trump whether it's easy to follow or not because I would argue – I would argue that there's very little entry level type stuff out there that's not already been reprinted a million times and you – know, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I, I just think that there's, um, I, I feel like there are sort of two impulses here. If the impulse is to get people to read DC Comics, then I don't think that I, I, I'm going back to the Terrifics just because it's an easy example. But I don't think that the Terrifics number one is the best entry point to DC Comics. I think that if you get them with these exclusive, you know, new stories and they are then interested for the next step, then give them the Trivix number one. Okay. I just, I just think that there's a, there's a middle ground missing here. 
Um, I hope you're yeah. right. Your your view is much more optimistic than mine is. Well, I'm not really all that optimistic about it. I just think I just think you know everybody's like, what is another reprint of? Action Comics number one, for example, do for anyone, you know, um, if that's the route you go or whatever, you know. Um, so, I, my bigger problems with this are first of all that they picked Walmart to do this with, because um, we all know the ethical problems with Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but capitalism being what it is, and and just the fact that these big retail stores are kind of inescapable on DC's part, it's not a bad idea. I mean, it is like that, like Walmart and target are the two big chains that are everywhere, you know? So it's, it's going to be ubiquitous, which I guess is the point. The other thing is that I still think like Zach, you, you said the price point is right. And I agree with you from the perspective of somebody who already reads comics. Yeah. But from the perspective of somebody who maybe doesn't read comics or who's buying comics for their kids and knows nothing about it, uh, they might look at that and think, I mean, 100 pages sounds like a lot, and what are they, five bucks? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a comics reader, that sounds great. But as somebody on the outside, I think, like, could that be too much? Or even even if I'm just talking out of my ass and really people don't think it's too much... I still think, like, if you want this to take hold in the way that apparently you do, because these are monthly books, um, I just wish for, like, the first few or something, they could have done, like, gone very cheap and went, like... A buck. Two bucks. Or, like, yeah. But then, then your problem is, in the retail space, like, again, that's something that... Fluctuating prices is something that we understand as comic book readers, but, like... The next time mom comes in and sees that the hundred page comic is now five dollars, it might throw her off. But yes. what if they, But honestly, what if, like, you know, how much can it cost to reprint these comics? Oh yeah, that was gonna be my next point. Like, what's stopping them from doing like eighty pages for two ninety nine and then in a couple months bumping up to uh a hundred pages and then adding on a couple bucks and maybe nobody really notices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I do, I do kind of think that hundred page thing is a seller. I think it kind of is like, I think once you hit that, like a hundred, like, and the, the trade dress I want to say, I think is really nice. Like, um, it's, it's really kind of garish, but it like really highlights the, you know, it highlights the characters. It highlights the hundred page. It has like a classic feel to it. And I mean, I I want to say that this is like pretty comparable to say like a magazine or a coloring book or something else that I I guess would be competing for this type of entertainment content. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Va- uh, magazines are the page count keeps going down. The content seems thinner, and the price keeps going up. So I think I think that's true. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is true. Yeah, or or you, yeah, it, I feel like the five dollar price point is a really, it's right there at the cusp for like an impulse buy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, you like throw that onto your grocery bill and it, you don't notice it, and your kid's happy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think that this is a really clear indication that DC wants more kids reading his comics, 
but I wonder if that's going to be reflected in the content of the books. Because mm-hmm. honestly, if you're trying to get an adult to read comics, I don't think Walmart's the place to do it. Right. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I think there's like a very specific sect of like the type of people who love superhero movies, who frequent Walmart, who will see this, and this could be their gateway into comics. I would just think that, and maybe this is just more of who I am as a person versus, like, you know, who someone else is. When I have an interest, even if it's, like, a casual interest, I I tend to research it and look stuff up and, you know, whatever. I I don't know if I... I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of something that I would see, like, you know, in a Walmart or a Target that I would never have considered before to buy. I feel like as, a, as an adult, I, I don't... That's not really how I operate. But I, I suppose there are people yeah. who are. I don't know. I think that there are a lot of people. I feel like people like uh, you know us are not the not the majority, not very commonplace. I feel like most people are, find like comics way too impenetrable. Probably, maybe have like heard of one or two stories, but they might see this and say, "Oh, I like this. I'll try it." I just thought about something that kind of sells me on the price now that I think about it. Do you guys know those, like, shitty little random plastic toys that are, like, you know, it's, like, uh, ten DC characters, and you get one at random, and it's a keychain. Uh-huh. Those are $5 sometimes. Yeah. So if you can spend $5 on something that you may already have, <laughs> yeah, maybe this, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a big problem with the price point. I would like it to be cheaper, just because I I want it to be a. Uh, I want it to be like Zach said. I want it to be that impulse buy for the mom or dad to buy their kid, and to hook them the way that it would have been price wise, you know, for our parents doing in the similar situation. And mm. but but maybe it is. Maybe five bucks today is the uh, is the whatever the price was when we were kids. Yeah. Um, one other thing that was really kind of big about this um, was like the retailer reaction. And did you guys see the, I think it was Palmiotti maybe, who said that the exclusive stories, which I guess we haven't even gotten into those yet, no, but they're going to be uh, collected eventually for, mm-hmm. for, for like comic shops and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was my my initial reaction was just that like oh, in a in a weird way you're sort of um, you're sort of taking you're giving exclusive content to people who haven't been the ones supporting you for all these years you know, and mm-hmm. that's kind of a it's kind of a shitty thing to do when you think about it. But if they're going to be reprinting it for the for the comic shop market and. You, you know, I don't really have a problem with it. Then, I think that the net positive of it, hopefully, is better than you know, is worth the pissing off a couple of retailers and fa- and fans who are only buying books at at their comic shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, maybe maybe I'm naive, but it doesn't even really make sense to me why Walmart would push really hard for like exclusivity here. Um. I guess versus other retailers, like for them to say, we want these so that Target doesn't get them, you know, but like, 
does Walmart really, I mean, they're an evil corporation, I get it, but do they really feel threatened by the local comic book shop? Would the sales really be that much less if these were also being sold in your LCS? No, that is a weird thing to, to consider, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, I like. I don't see why they couldn't do both. I, the only thing I could think of is if they wanted to keep it out of absolutely any other retailer's hands. In in that case, I get like wanting to be able to hold that over Target or the dying Barnes and Noble type bookstores. You know, um, I, then I get it. But I don't to know. me, the to me the LCS is not a threat to the to the Walmart comic book racket <laughs> right well and it is you know they're not bringing like their entire you know line to walmart either is the yeah. other thing um i mean that walmart could get those if they wanted to but you're still gonna have to go to you know your local comic shop or Someplace I mean, like that to get those. Books. I I would think that if people were thinking that if retailers were thinking logically about this, let's say you know best case scenario, you know Mrs. Wilkerson buys little Zaki a, a comic in Walmart and he loves it. I would think the retailer would realize that if that kid wants more, he's not going to be satisfied with one comic a week at Walmart. That he's going to be reaching out to a local comic shop eventually. And it shouldn't really matter where he gets his first taste as long as he's coming to you with regularity. Uh, The old old drug racket. Yep. Some of us in this podcast know it better than others. That's all I'll say. (laughs) That's all I'll say. Uh, So let's talk about what's actually in these comics for a second. So um, let's just talk about the uh, Superman Giant number one is going to feature an original story by Jimmy Pomliotti and Tom Derenick. And then it also includes the Terrifics number one, uh, Green Lantern number one, the Jeff Johns, Ethan Van Skyver post rebirth, um, not not the world, not the you know universe wide event rebirth, but the Green Lantern rebirth, uh, Superman Batman number one by Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis, and Tim Sale, um, and then starting in Superman number three, Superman Giant number three, Tom King and Andy Kubert are doing a twelve part Superman story. In uh, Teen Titans Giant number one, uh, Dan Jurgens and Scott Eaton are doing a uh, a six part story. Number one also includes Super Sons one number one, Sideways number one, because we know Sideways is the linchpin of the DC universe now. Well, um, a whole new generation is going to get exposed to Sideways. Yep. How is anyone going to understand his appearance at Superman Day if they don't read? That is true. That is very true. Um, <laughs> And uh, Teen Titans number one, the, the Jeff Johns, Mike McCone, Teen Titans number one. Um, and then uh, Batman Giant number one has a Palmiati and Patrick Zercher story in it for the first two issues. And it also includes Batman 608, which is the uh, Hush part one, Nightwing number one from the New 52, and Harley Quinn number one from the New 52. And here's the biggest news of all, which is that in Batman Giant number three, uh, Brian Bendis and Nick Darrington are doing a 12-part Batman story. Um, Justice League of America, Giant number one. Uh, Tim Seeley is doing, and Rick Leonardi and Steve Bucoletto are doing uh, one story. And then they also has Justice League number one from the New 52. The Flash and Aquaman number one, also from the New 52. Um, issue three, sorry, issue two sees Tim Seeley uh, and Felipe Watanabe doing another 
Wonder Woman story, and then in issue three, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti are writing a 12-part Wonder Woman story. Hmm. All of these exclusive stories are 12 pages per issue, so that's a little bit more than half an issue of uh, a monthly comic, so you figure the collected edition will be somewhere in the uh, eight-issue range in terms of page number. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting the caliber of talent that DC's putting on these exclusive stories. Because mm-hmm. like yeah. you were saying, Vince, like there's no real need for exclusivity. So you would think if if Walmart did want an exclusive, they could say, all right, and you know they could whip out a J.T. Kroll... Uh, Brett Booth story, and you know, is Walmart really wise to the quality of the of the creators? I don't know that, right? You know, so to, to pull out to pull out Nick Darrington and Brian Bendis on a Batman story, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. <laughs> Bendis writing Batman. Who would have ever thought we'd live in a world where the first Bendis Batman story? Well, I guess there was that Gotham Knights one, whatever. But the first real Batman Bendis story is in a Walmart exclusive. <laughs> anthology book (laughs) (laughs) but you know what maybe maybe the normies will just buy them because they're superheroes or whatever and maybe we will trek to our local walmarts because it's bendis and darrington that's gonna be the thing i think is like a lot of people like us are gonna go to walmart and buy these (laughs) who what child is actually going to get access to these because (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the comic book fan is going to buy all of them. The Funko Pops were decimated. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's something I haven't even thought about, but honestly, that, I mean, unless, like, Walmart is ordering these in quantities of, like, 30-plus an issue, you know? Um, oh, yeah. They're going to have... Why? They're going to have braying nerds at their service counter just... With flames coming out of their ears because they sold out of these, and they're not available on the direct market. You are my only way to get these. And some poor, like eighty-year-old lady has no idea what this guy's talking about. Yeah, she also has no health insurance. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> bing bong bing. I will certainly not be checking to Walmart to buy these. Um, Where is your nearest Walmart? I got one like twenty minutes from me, maybe. All right, fifteen minutes. I you coastal elite, you. Uh, I live in a town. Ta- I'm not gonna get into it. I'm not. There, there <laughs> is, there is in the Midwest. They're as common as your Starbucks is. Yeah, I mean to be fair, there are at least four Starbucks in ten minutes from me. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that ultimately, this is a worthwhile gamble to take. I really can't see too many negatives coming from this. I know that a lot of... Re- I'm actually... Uh, just to tip my hat here, I'm, I'm working on a, uh, a piece about this for DC. I've reached out to a few retailers to talk about this. And I'm trying to get both DC and Walmart to comment on it, actually. Um, oh. Just to kind of see you know what's going on here. But I can't see... Like, I know one retailer on Twitter basically said that, watch, the next step is a spinner rack for Walmart, and that's the death of us all. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like if you're a retailer so insecure in your ability to sell comics that a spinner rack in Walmart is going to put you out of business, maybe you were in the wrong business to begin with, friend. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to make that much of a dent. I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. I would think that even if all of the new issue sales went away, which will never happen, a good comic shop can make its its money off of back issues and special events and stuff like that. It just it just takes some creativity. I don't want that, by the way. I'm not rooting for Walmart here. I am I am <laughs> absolutely rooting for the local comic shop and fuck Walmart always and forever. But I think from DC's perspective, this is a really smart move. And it would it would actually make twice as much sense if Marvel did it. <laughs> yeah, because people actually like Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, anything else to say about the Walmart uh, deal? Mm, I don't think so. No, I'm I'm just very very excited for the Bendis Batman comic though. <laughs> Who'd have thought, like at the start of Rebirth, that we would be more excited about a Bendis Batman comic than a Tom King Superman comic? <laughs> uh, it's pretty wild. Wild and wacky stuff. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's get into the books then, boys. Um, who wants to talk about Bane Conquest? Ah, uh, <laughs> I read I think it. Vince does. Did you really? <laughs> I read it. I did. All right. Tell us all about it. I'm a sucker for final issues, as you know. Um, first of all, the book may be shit, but I love that cover. The cover of Bane, like, holding the title and, like, crushing it between mm-hmm. his huge... Just crushing it. Just crushing it. Um, I don't really have much to say about the comic itself. That's uh, shocking. Yeah, Bane is, like, fighting Batman for that little baby. Remember that baby that was, like, the future of Cobra or something like that? uh, Laid within this baby, like the Numa Numa baby or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Naja, Naja, that's what it is. I wish it were Numa Numa. Anyway, like, he and Batman are fighting over it, and then he, like, makes... Batman makes him feel guilty, and he has, like, a change of heart because Bane's not all bad, and the the baby ends up in a Gotham orphanage and never to be heard from again, I'm sure. Uh, unless they let Chuck Dixon do another one of these, but... I just wanted to talk about that cover because I really like it. And I like Graham Nolan's art um, some of the time, and this cover is definitely one of those times. It's very dynamic, and I love when comics do things with the the title, with the word art. Yeah, I agree. R.I.P. Bane Conquest. R.I.P. Ben Affleck Batman. (laughs) We'll see about that. (laughs) We'll see about that. I like to believe that... uh, I I believe, as you said on Vince, that the real Ben Affleck Batman was all the vaping in the car. (laughs) Well, now wait a minute. Did your boy uh, Kevin Smith? Does he get, got, got you a tip or something? Oh, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Is he hiding a tip in those giant pants of his? I'll just say this: snoochie boochies. <laughs> oh, you got me. I did. I you, booched you, your snooch. Yep. Ten years in, and and we bone like we were cheating on each other with <laughs> each other. <laughs> You think about that tweet entirely too much. <laughs> Almost every day. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least you didn't finish it this time. I, I, I won't. Let's talk about background number 24. Written by Sean Aldridge. Illustrated by Scott Godlewski. Uh, this, uh, I believe this is a one-shot, right? I don't believe Aldridge is doing the next issue. I think, I think that's right. I don't actually remember. What what issue number was this again? 24. Yeah, next issue is like the anniversary, and there's yeah. a bunch of different people on it. Um, and then I believe after that it's uh, Marigreed Scott. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got some. We got some sexy Two Face in this issue. <laughs> sexy Two Face. Uh, what do you guys think of it, Zach? Why don't you go first? It was. Um, it wasn't the worst. I guess I. I. I generally liked it. The art was really good. Godlewski's one of the more improved artists that DC has. I think. I think every time we see him, he gets a little better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this. It was, um, you know, it was fairly standard. It was, it checked all the boxes for what a post-Burnside Batgirl comic, what your average one will give you, you know? Yeah. Um, actually, I like the Two-Face stuff quite a bit. Um, because he's so sexy now. Because he's sexy, because he's kind of like half uh, uh, Mads Mickelson or something, <laughs> like, like the Mads handsome... Mickelson Two Face. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? Um, All I could think about was that your your two sides of the coin tweet from last week <laughs> when I read this issue. What was that tweet, Vince? To our listeners. Oh God! Uh, talk amongst yourselves. I gotta find it. Uh, <laughs> I don't have it off the top. I don't have it off the dome, and I don't want to. You were basically like facetious. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, okay, okay, okay. It was uh, it was <laughs> facetious. I meant every word. <laughs> it was it was a shit post. Emily described it as a two faced shit post or something like that, and I I couldn't agree more. It's crazy how Harvey Dent starts out as a good guy in The Dark Knight, and then by the end it turns out he's the bad guy. Like, it really shows how there can be two different sides of the same coin, in a manner of speaking. That's a total ripoff of the Scott Aukerman Joker tweet. <laughs> and you know it is. Is that something about a man who finds crime funny? Yeah, what's that? Yeah, there's something... There's something there's something almost chilling about the Joker. <laughs> a man who finds the thought of crime to be funny. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta admit the Two Face one is like Oh, it's it's great. I mean it's not the Joker tweet, but it's 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 great. It's it's approaching that. Yeah. And I said I was thinking more last night and do you think that Dent's Golden Boy image contrasted with his willingness to cross the lines in the name of the law has something to do with why they call him Two Face? Or is it just the face thing? <laughs> well done, sir. Oh, well done. Vince is one of the best Twitter boys that I know. I no, I'm really not. You're gonna drive. You're gonna drive traffic at me, and they're all gonna be disappointed. Hey, no, no they won't be disappointed until Packer season. Let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
And then we'll all be disappointed. Hi, yo. Oh, I'm a Mets fan. Welcome to my world. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- th- this was a fine comic. It was, you know, it's um, it's it's pretty standard Babs comic for 2018. We haven't talked about her new design, which is by Sean Murphy, that's debuting in a couple of issues. Yeah, uh, she's all nude. <laughs> Thank oh you, wait is is that for this book i thought yes. that that was in regard to his next um no that's i totally misread that because i i just read the headline oh wow okay interesting I, I don't particularly care for it in that first image but i'm i'm open to it why not i just happen to really like this costume for her yeah huh. i like i like it i think it's fine i was surprised at the discourse online uh, about how many people apparently hate the Burnside one, which is crazy to me because I think it's so cool. Um, oh, man, I'm really sad now. I love the Burnside <laughs> costume. Yeah. I feel like this is sad to me. This is like the bad guys won. <laughs> yeah. Well, and did you hear the... I guess what Marguerite Scott said was that this costume... Um, is similar to like her year. If you look at it, it's similar in color scheme and kind of design to the year one um, costume. And so, it's something about like she's she's back she's back living with her dad for a while for some reason. And she like dug this costume up and like reworked it or something like that. And so it's only like a temporary story thing. I think okay. is what they said. But but that that could be like a longer story, not just one arc. But you know, right. It's 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 for a story purpose, and the amount of time that it hangs around is indefinite, as as are all superhero costumes. But right. you know, there's it's a practical purpose type thing. See, to so me, it's, it's Wonder Woman with pants. Yes, <laughs> or Malibu Stacy with a new hat. Um, but uh, the the Burnside costume is so great to me because it somewhat both in like in color and look also reflects the classic like Batman sixty six. Back her costume, but it mm. still looks really modern and really uh, functional. It just it, to me, it checks all the boxes what you want for a back her costume. Uh, and I, I'm I'm with Zach here. I'm bummed that it's not gonna be around for a while. Um, all right, let's talk about Batman Beyond, Vince. I'm sure you looked at it because I, I did. Didn't. I did look at it. Um, can I recall anything about it? Is the and I'm not recalling. I know I read this. Which Will Conrad uh, was doing the art? The good Will Conrad or the bad Will Conrad? Ah, uh, this was the good Will Conrad. Okay. And I think, again, this is my theory. I think it's about the coloring because the, my complaint when when it's the bad Will Conrad is that everything is like dark and muddy looking mm-hmm. and everything is like grays, browns, dark greens. This was very colorful. And so it was pretty good. Um, I do want to throw a shout out for the Dave Johnson variant cover, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much to say about this, I guess. Um, it's not good. There's some stuff. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I, I hate, I, I say this every time we talk about this book, I think, but I hate the way that his eyes are drawn now. <laughs> they go, it, like, up into his ears. I hate it so much. Also, it just blows my mind that there's a Batman Beyond book that I just never think about. 
<laughs> I just I'm constantly amazed that this book exists and that I don't care about it at all because I love the concept of Batman Beyond so much. Yeah. Are you saying that that the costumes here are not great? What 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 would you rank a book out of out of a ten scale for 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 when the costumes aren't great? Uh, if the costumes aren't great, it's a it's clearly a one out of ten. Okay. You have to have good costumes for a comic to even register. I mean, everyone knows that. Let's be fair. We're not telling our listeners anything here. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's dive into the final. Batman, Prelude to the Wedding, Harley Quinn versus the Joker, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by um, uh, Sammy Basri. And I can say without equivocation, this is the worst of the bunch. <laughs> I'm shocked that, that you would feel that way. <laughs> do, you, do you disagree? No, I completely agree. Yeah. Um... I mean, I do like that that Harley dumps him in a vat of pudding. Yeah, that's cute. Um, that, well, yeah, it's, and it's symbolic because the Joker originally fell into a vat uh, at Ace Chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I like that Harley beats the shit out of the Joker. <laughs> that's good. Um. Yeah, I don't know. This it it, it was weird how it also kind of led up to issue number forty eight, which was which already came out like, a month ago. Yeah, a month mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, but I suppose that's I don't that's know comics. Yeah, the Walmart people aren't going to understand that one. Oh, they're going to be really confused. They're not going to be able to find it. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, this issue did kind of a thing I didn't like, which was, I mean, this, I feel like this is always looming over Harley Quinn. Now this idea that eventually she's going to have to go back to the Joker because that's like, that's her status quo. And, um, I, I don't know for, you know, as problematic as Harley Quinn can be sometimes the fact that DC is actually, let writers take her away from the Joker and make her own thing. And that's been really nice. And I don't really want that to get, um, backstabbed. I think she's getting to the point where she's so popular that you can keep her away from the Joker for far longer than you could have earlier in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just wait till they do the Harley and Joker movie. Ugh. Then they got to put that twisted duo back together again. You know, that, I don't, I don't know how I folks know. write the Joker because he just scares me so much when I even think about him. <laughs> I can't imagine going to see a movie where the freaking Joker's on the screen right in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh man, it'll be really twisted though when he's the protagonist of the movie. It's like, do you root for him? Is he the yeah. good guy? I don't know. Wait a minute, he's the freaking hero of this thing? Yeah. He's some, what is he, some some knight in white shining armor or something? <laughs> Why don't they just go ahead and adapt that? We all know they want to. Oh, it'll be, it'll definitely be one of those, like, directed DVD animated films within a year, guaranteed. Yeah. 
yeah. there'll be an unrated version where Harley Quinn just like flops her titties on Joker's face, yeah. and, uh, and a certain section of the comics internet will flip the fuck out in joy. This <laughs> orgasmic joy. Gosh, let's leave it at that. It's gonna be the worst. Yeah. You know what wasn't a bad Batman story? What I would say is actually a pretty good Batman story. Detective oh. Comics number 983. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Zach. Did I smell some dissent here? No, I was mm, in agreement. I oh. liked it. <laughs> oh, you're making a yummy noise. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was yummy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, written by uh, Brian Hill, illustrated by Miguel Mendaka. And, uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. This this definitely sets up The Outsiders, which is, you know, the worst-kept secret in comics at this point. <laughs> um, but it, it gave legitimate... Uh, it gave legitimate reason for Cass and Duke and Jefferson and Bruce to work together. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a really effective start to an arc. And, uh... I love seeing Black Lightning more involved in the DC Universe. Absolutely. It even tipped its cap to uh, the Doomsday Clock Johns version of The Outsiders that we saw in the back matter. Did you notice that? The Markovia stuff? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yep. It, ju- it was just a mention in like a word balloon somewhere. But but did you guys see the rumor about that on Bleeding Cool? Dirty Old Rich? I don't think so. He said that Brian Hill and Jeff Johns were t- exchanging messages about how to reconcile their two versions of the Outsiders going forward, and that they're going to be two separate things, but that they're going to cu- they're coming up with a reason why there would be two teams called the Outsiders and how that would work. Which I don't even know if that's necessary, but but it's sound- it looks like that that's what's happening, you know. Um, but this was great. Every I felt like. It was one of those comics where every two pages it it would flip to a new scene or a new thing, and so it didn't feel too bogged down. It was like it was it was a really nicely paced book, and I think that that's that's something Brian Hill seems to be really good at um, pacing an issue. Uh, if like Michael Cray is any indication. This book didn't feel like Michael Cray at all, but it's really well paced and and I was engaged the whole time. Um and you got a little bit of the Justice League in there and you got you know enough black lightning to satisfy and everything was just the right amount of what you wanted. I like this a lot. Yeah, I liked it too. the The only weird thing that I thought the issue had was the way that, um, kind of the rapport between Martian Manhunter and Bruce that was kind of weird. I thought. Um, I, I took it as that Bruce was really pissed off about Duke at the moment, and like not himself, and was more even more gruff and asshole maybe than he normally is. I think that's and a I good think, take. I think, I think Bruce's role in the Justice League traditionally, the way that he people always talk about, like how could Batman be a member of the Justice League with all these superpowered people and everything, 
And I think his role is generally to not be the leader. I don't think he should ever be the leader of the Justice League. But he's always like the kind of the needle in its side or like the one who works outside it when he shouldn't. And I think this is just following in that tradition of of the typical role that I like to see Bruce in as far as the Justice League is concerned. Um, but I, I get what you're saying, Zach, but I felt like, yeah, that's just Bruce being Bruce, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't like a bad thing. It was just, it didn't, it felt weird. Um, it felt like there was some weird tension there that didn't, that we weren't um, getting from like the other Justice League books right now or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys think of Miguel Mendoza's art? It was fine. It was serviceable. Yeah, pretty standard superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. I did like um, the the first page we see when he, uh, we're in Jefferson's. I don't know if that's a hotel room or apartment, whatever it is, and Batman sneaks up on him. I thought that was a particularly well drawn sequence by Mendoza, but the. Uh, you know, like you guys said, serviceable, good comic booking. Uh, let's talk about one more before our break. Let's talk about Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 47, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by, uh, oh, you guessed it, Fernando Pissarin. Um I don't know what to make of this issue, guys. I liked the last issue of this, and I'm not such a fan of this issue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not sh- and I'm not sure what changed all that much. I I can tell you what changed, but uh, Zach, Go why don't you start? With- no, Zach, you start us off today. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say about you're, this issue. You're tugging because, on your collar right yeah, now. Cause you didn't yeah, because you did read I it, really right? Am. No, I did read it. Okay. I read it. Um, no, the only things I didn't read this week were my usuals. You know, the ones that I never read. I was a good boy this week. Um, <sighs> This felt really inconsequential. Um, the whole like how plot, especially like that 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 didn't serve any purpose. Uh, weirdly, I think my favorite part of this was the guy Archilo stuff. Um, I liked that a lot so much that I think I would read like a team up book with those guys. Is that weird? Is that too far? No, it's, it's probably too far. <laughs> it might be too far. It depends on who wrote it. Um, uh, if that was like a Tomasi Gleason joint, I'd be down on that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This arc's too long. Yeah, it is. Um, first of all, I don't like it when an entire like. Uh, an entire arc or an entire <laughs> issue is set up. Are you laughing? What I said, you Vince? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a guy nut face. Everybody is a is a classic guy nut face in this issue. Um, One day we're gonna start a Patreon that's just the nut faces. Just the nut like, faces. We should have out. a t- we should have a Tumblr. This week's DC nut faces. <laughs> uh, anyway, I I hate when there's like so this this whole issue. Especially the Hal stuff is all set up to make you think that Hector Hammond is turning on Hal. 
And then it turns out that no, psych, <laughs> he knew that Hal would do the right thing after all. And uh, isn't this just grand? And I hate that shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's insulting to the audience. It wasn't particularly well done. It was just, you know, it was just, it was a waste of half an issue. And then the guy stuff, I, um, I feel like the my problem with the guy stuff goes back to I guess it was two issues ago where there's really no explanation for why he became a dark star. He's just like I don't like them dark stars. Wait, I'm a dark star now. Like there was there wasn't enough uh, sort of reason for him to become one. So there wasn't much of a re- much of an emotional reaction when he didn't when he like let go of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like right. this just this just sold out both halves of the issue, both stories that happened. I, my my favorite stuff I think was the guy, um, Orion stuff. I mean that guy, the how yeah, the, Ky- the Kyle Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Orion, Orion stuff, yeah. Yeah. Also, guys, re- reasoning for being a dark star was really weird in this issue. That the fact that they tried to explain it, and it was basically like I let myself take o- be taken over so that I could learn about <laughs> the <Yeah>. armor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some some sketchy logic there. I also think that the the last bit of of dialogue between Guy and his dad, his dad says, "Guy, there's so much I want to say. Gotta go, Pop. I'll come back soon. <laughs> we'll get a drink, coffee, maybe. I'm proud of you, son. Like it's so fucking cliche. Just yeah. the most cliche father son moment you could have. Yeah. Uh, three more issues, though. Three more issues. Three more issues. You think we'll get uh, Morrison Green Lantern in the next solicits? Do you think that's in the cards? Uh, on the show that, that Vince and I recorded but hasn't been released yet, we talked about how I actually think it's going to be January. You think so? What I, is there a reason for that, or do I have to wait until the issue the episode comes out? Well, by the time listeners are hearing this, that episode's already out, so... Um, I'll just wait and listen then. No, 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 no. I, I oh, think okay, it's okay. because uh, I think that be, that it seems to be every three months they're doing these big launches, but I feel like at New York Comic Con they'll be teasing January stuff, mm. and that seems like a good place to do that. Either that or at San Diego when they'll be teasing like November stuff. I could see... It'd be, I, it'd be kind of weird to go all the way to January with just one Green Lantern book. Well, here's here's why I'm thinking that. Um, it The rumors are that, you know, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Suicide Squad, and is there one more that we are supposed to have a new creative team for? And The Flash, maybe? But all of those are like, they're still mid-story as of the September solicits. So it would be odd to me to have them all wrap up in October. I think Aquaman wraps up, right? There's that crossover with Suicide Squad that wraps up. Yeah, but that's you really think that that book's going to end on a Suicide Squad crossover? Uh, I don't know. They've, they they wear things. I don't know. You're probably right. I, that'd be interesting. I just really want it to come out now. <laughs> yep. I'm an impatient boy. Well, let's take a break, and uh, Zach will be sitting there jumping around because he's an impatient boy. I wanted to get back to the comics talk, but... We'll be back in just a second. 
My name's Matt. And I'm Wes. And together we host That's the Issue, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Every month we take a random, tangent-filled look through comic books and pop culture. And along the way we cover everything from Doink the Clown to Mr. Blobby. Don't ask about the Mr. Blobby. We don't ask about the Mr. Blobby. (laughs) We do also talk about comic books as well. Like the weirdest comic books in your collection or your favourite comic book movies. So join us on the third Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com or wherever podcasts are found. Blobby, blobby, blobby! (laughs) I knew you'd do that well. That's why I put it at the end. And we're back with Mira, Queen of Atlantis, number five, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by um, uh, Len Medina. Medina. I, I, for some reason, I always forget who illustrates this book. And I like the art, but I can never remember month to month who illustrates it. Uh, what did you guys think of this issue? I, this is the issue, I think, where the most happened so far. Yes, all sorts of delicious political things going on. Yeah, I really enjoyed this issue quite a bit. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I like. Yeah. Um, Orm, uh, like sort of maneuvering towards usurping the throne was kind of a. Uh, I, I, I have to admit, it was un, unexpected, but I think it was completely earned. Absolutely. I feel like when you saw how happy he was on the surface, you knew that couldn't last. I guess I'm just a. It'd be nice if it did, though. It (laughs) would be. It would be. Zach? uh, Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I don't. I guess I have, like, a ton to say about it. Um,. I I guess I, I, I don't feel like I was that surprised. I feel like they set it up. I feel like um, Abnett set a lot of this stuff up pretty well in earlier issues. Um, but it, it was a nice setup for whatever, you know, befalls in the finale. Um, I, and I wonder if the effects of this book are going to end up playing into the last issue of the the Aquaman arc, which I think comes out, is it the next issue? I'm pretty sure. I believe so. Yes, it sure seems like it. Yeah, Zach, you missed us talking last week about how people apparently hate that arc. Yeah, I don't get it. That's I. I mean, I, I we talked a little bit off air, you know, in text about it. Um, I I just don't get it. I mean, I under uh, it's sad people equate success of a book to how well it sells but um this is easily the best Aquaman book we've had gosh maybe I mean I didn't really read the was it uh who who wrote the the pre-Flashpoint one where like San Diego went underwater and all that stuff that wasn't happened. that wasn't the Peter David run that was Peter David. I would say this is maybe the best. Gleason was on art. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I would say this might be like the the best regarded Aquaman arc, at least in my opinion, since the Peter David stuff. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, boy, I can't remember. uh, I can't remember what was going on with Aquaman. I just remember him being part of Brightest Day. Aquaman's history, like Aquaman and the. In the aughts was so weird because he he died and there was that new Aquaman that came back in the Busek run and then mm-hmm. 
Um, then that kind of like got pushed under the rug in Final Crisis, but then not really. But then he came back in Blackest Night. Aquaman was a hot mess. With the new Aqualad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guess who was writing Aquaman when the new Fifty Two happened? Okay, we 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 have to we have to legitimately guess. Yep, you do. Um, Wait, there <clears throat> there wasn't an Aquaman book when the new Fifty Two happened, was there? It's the pre Flashpoint one, the one we were talking about. I didn't I didn't think there was a book currently going. Then. You just you just said Pat Gleason drew it. That was like way. I said like pre Flashpoint. Like I just meant in that era. Like oh, that okay. was that okay. was like in the early two thousands. I guess when you're that right. Stuff now. was happening. I just assumed that it went right up to that. But no, you're right now. I I just no. I looked at the date right now, mm-hmm. and it was two thousand six. Which you're right. Wouldn't yeah. Tell. That was the. I'm pretty sure that was the Kurt Busiek book. Was the very last one with that fake Aquaman. Um, Aquaman. Yeah, Aquaman. Um, then after that, there wasn't an Aquaman book. He was just in Brightest Day. But who wrote it, Vince? Tell us. Well, so the very... Oh, last... it was Will Pfeiffer, wasn't it? No. I mean, the one before the Busek run. I think... I, now I'm completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> the The one in 2006... Oh, see, now wait a minute. Aquaman's Sword of Atlantis. Is yeah, that what you're talking about? That's the Busek run that came after the other run I was talking about. Okay. But I don't think that one was well received. No. I oh. I was thinking about maybe I I was I knew that one wasn't well received. I was wondering if the one before that was. So Sword of Atlantis was the last book before. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, okay. that was needlessly convoluted. Much no. like Aquaman's 2000s history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Tad Williams was the writer at the end of that run. Uh-huh. But who, what I was talking about was Aquaman Volume 6. Uh-huh. And the writer towards the end of that was John Arcudi. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. If if the rumors of Kelly Sue DeConnick taking over Aquaman are true, I hope that she builds off some of this admin stuff. Oh yeah. So Alright. Let's talk about Mother Panic Gotham A D number four, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Ibrahim Mustafa. And uh I'm still not feeling this iteration as much as I was the last one. I know Vince and Zach disagree with me on that. Yeah, I love this book. I think it's great. Yeah, I th- I think it's pretty great too. Uh, I had one thought while reading this though that I'm I'm having across the board with all these young animal ones now, and it makes me wonder. W- while I was reading this, and the same was true for Cave Carson, and I think the same has been kind of true for Shade. It really feels like there were there was more at work here and then it got stunted to six issues because all of a sudden like things are being introduced like Mr. Freeze and the whole Jason Todd thing feels like it can't possibly like it's going to come and go in less than six issues and 
I feel like we just needed more. I, I don't know. It feels it feels all over the place for me. I really like it. I really like all the parts. But and maybe I'm just imagining things because because it's coming to an end. But I wish it wasn't because this is really this is good shit. Yeah, I think so too. Any, I mean, I just love all of the pieces of this book. I I like the Jason Todd stuff. I mm-hmm. like. I love um, just Violet as a character, you know, way more even than I think in the original series. I like the her little sidekick, and I usually oh. don't care for like characters like that. For squirrel, glo- squirrel girl pastiches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fennec yeah. Fox, which is a great. That's a great name. That's a great concept for for this character's sidekick, and it's an awesome costume. I love that costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, this book is so good, way more than I expected it to be. I'm kind of glad that it's going to be this kind of self-contained thing that I just will enjoy a lot. Um, I'll say it again. I would love, I think, for this character after this to get like shunted into the main DCU. Um, since they've you know established that she's in like an alternate earth and I, I could see her leaving at the end of this arc mm-hmm. um, yeah see sure. it's, it's the alternate earth stuff that isn't doing it as much for me while parts of it are fun I just uh, I don't know it just it just feels a little heavy handed maybe I don't know it's fine it's just not my particular cup of tea yeah I think Jason Todd in this looks like Jason Todd in this looks like Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. He's got like the the gray like streak in his hair, which Bruce just seems like old and tired in Justice League. <laughs> like that's kind of what this Jason Todd feels like to me. Um, I can see that, yeah. But yeah, this is a lot of fun. I actually, I wouldn't mind if the character comes over to the new DCU, but or to the regular DCU, I mean, but I also don't want it to become, I don't want this to become like Batman Beyond. You know what I mean? In what way? In like, I don't want, I don't want the mother panic thing to keep going on and on. And eventually we don't care about it because it's being written in a way or by a creative team that doesn't excite us or it's, you know, just, just a boring throwaway thing that they incorporated because it was a new property they could mine new stories out of, but really there's no, I mean, this is Jody Hauser's baby, right? So right. I, I don't, I don't need to see this being written elsewhere, taken in a direction that's not the original intent. And then to just have it become ordinary, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I think that that's the, that runs that's the risk that all these young animal books are running, uh-huh. which is that if they ever stray a little bit from their uh, from their sort of initial mission statement, I could see them all getting uh, ghettoized into this little corner of the DCU that no one really cares about. Sure. Let's take a pause here for a second to get uh, those yeah. things back. So usually we can't just add them right back to the call. Usually we all have to I'm going to try, though. Okay. Oh. Oh. 
Hey. There oh, there hey. you are. Did you guys all get kicked off too, or was no. it just me? Just no, you. just you. Just me. Okay. It's weird. Did you have anything else for Mother or... Panic? No. Okay. okay, so we'll pick that's, up right that's where it. that's where we ended. So yeah. All right, here we go. Well, that brings us to Teen Titans Special Number One, written by Adam Glass, and uh, illustrated by was this just one note person or was it three? Robson Roca. It's just Robson Roca all all up and down. The whole thing pulling triple duty there. Triple um, D. So. <laughs> Before we get to sort of what happens in each part, there are three parts to this. There is a Robin section, a Red Arrow section, and a Kid Flash section. And I want us to rank our enjoyment of the sections before we talk about it. So what was your most enjoyed, and then second, and then least enjoyed? Gosh. Most? Uh, Red Arrow. I think my most was Kid Flash. Kid Flash is second to me. I think I am going to (laughs) go... Man, I don't know. I really disliked all of these. Um, (laughs) I think I'm going to have to go Red Arrow, Kid Flash, Robin. Yeah, Yeah. That's, that's me. What the fuck is this Robin story, guys? What uh, is this? So, <laughs> Robin so, is just killing people. Yeah. Okay, but it's obviously some kind of super dickery, right? I don't think it is. I mean, it oh, looks man. like he killed all those guards. Yeah. I mean, it does look like that. But I have to think that nobody would let that happen. Is this really what we're doing? I hate that. The, like, the concept of this Teen Titans is that they're like the. The, disobedient shitheads they're like this is like uncanny x-force <laughs> you know like when yeah. they had the the x-men hit squad only yeah. it's teenagers <laughs> oh man oh i mean it's so here's the thing it sucks yes but with a writer not named adam glass i would I would get to the end of the damien part and i would say that very much played out in a way that like immediately in the next issue, you would find out that that's not the case. But I'm legitimately worried that that's what happened. And if that's what happened, if he really murdered that, like, whole room of goons, and then... I mean, you don't see him shoot Black Mask, and therefore, like, the the age-old rule is that if you didn't see it happen, it it didn't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. But, But still, the way it's presented... I, I, I'm still worried about it because Adam Glass is the writer. Sorry, Adam. But, like, this so smacks of, like, the New 52 overly violent uh, brand spanking new take on these characters that they felt they needed. And I think what disappoints me most is that... Cause I'm just going to assume that Damien didn't really kill anyone, and I'm going to cross my fingers real hard until that next issue of Teen Titans comes out or whatever. Because think about like think about like the arcs of the Tomasi and Gleason run that that completely undermines. You know, wasn't there the time that he killed like one person and it was this whole big yeah 
Batman. Yeah. Like, Bruce made a huge deal of it, and it was this huge. It was like an arc long lesson he had to learn, and like to just undo that for for the brash new Titans is um would suck. But beyond that, like yet again, you take a team of teens that you could easily you don't you don't have to have it be like G rated, but you could easily have it be like teen rated, like a light teen, and it would be fine. Like, who's turned on by Damien flipping around and leaving that room a bloody mess, you know? I mean, that's, that's like, one of the most violent pages of the week, I would say. Oh, if not the most violent page of the week. Yeah. And it's in Teen Titans special, number one, you know? I'm not, like, a prude, but I think that there's... I don't understand why we can't have levels and scales of appropriate content for particular characters, you know? Yeah. It sucks. Um, so I, I I think I had the least problem, like, storyline-wise, with the Kid Flash stuff, because I could see why Wallace would feel the way he's describing here. I don't necessarily think it's like the best way he's to write that character, but I, I can understand why he would feel that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the Red Arrow stuff was so heavy-handed with Shadow. Like when she hugged her, did anybody think she wasn't gonna try and kill her? Like it was just such an so telegraphed and and lame and. Uh, the Robin stuff was just miserable. Just, like you said, Vince, undoing years of storytelling, if that's really what's happening. And I feel like Robin has been a centerpiece of the DCU now for, gosh, we're coming up on almost a decade, aren't we? It's over a decade, really, I think. Like, because... Well, I guess, like, if you want to really... Batman and Robin started in 08, so if you want to pull that as, like, the key moment, which I think is pretty fair, then yeah, it's sure, a decade. Sure, You know, are you telling me that Robin seeing his favorite restaurateur killed is the worst thing he's seen in 10 years <laughs> of superheroes? Come on. Yeah. Well, what was up with Harley calling Wallace politically correct Flash? That was... That... I don't... That's, that's really ba- shitty. That's bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> like, all of a sudden she's weirdly racist and, like, on the comics gate side of things, apparently. I, I know what that's trying to get across, but it doesn't work. No, I mean, it's... It's, it's no, bad. No, I think, I think that's... Yeah, I think that's shitty. Yeah. And then, in the, and then two panels later, she says fake news, which is... Like, don't get don't get me wrong. Even though I find uh, our president a disgusting uh, waste of oxygen, um, I don't. I'm I don't mind the occasional like reference to it. I'm gonna point it out. and I'm gonna like make fun of it. But someone saying fake news is I'm it. Unfortunately, it's in the dialogue now, and so to use that is not the biggest crime in the world. But like that paired with her saying politically correct flash. 
came off as like, well, wait, is Harley a mega chud now? <laughs> Not only that, like, is there any other character that could be as easily adaptable to the mega bullshit? <laughs> I, I feel like the average Harley Quinn fan possibly voted for Trump. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like our president is the freaking Joker or something. That's too twisted. The way he behaves. What would Trump have tattooed across his forehead? Kofi. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Alright. Teen Titan Special sucks. Uh, I'm not looking forward to this book. Which is a shame no. because the other four books, if five of your count of the outsiders that are coming out of this, are coming out of the same event, all look really dope. Yeah. You just can't you just can't have a, a full line of good books at DC. You just can't do it. Ben Percy not. was doing a good job on Teen Titans too. Yeah. And if you look at that last page where all the members of the team are on the same page there, that's a team that I'm potentially I'm pot- potentially potentially <laughs> potentially even potentially <laughs> potentially invested in. I was trying to say potentially invested and I ended up saying potentially uh potentially invested in. Like I I could I could see a world where I want to read a book about Lobo's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not I guess I guess it's not gonna be in this book. No, it's not. Yeah, it's this not. is just weird. I shut the I shut the file on this. Uh, I shut the PDF and I immediately went to DCBS and cancelled my pre <laughs> pre order of Teen Titans after and I never do that. I usually give things like an issue or two. Mm-hmm. I guess this was the issue. But I usually go go longer than that. Do you still have this issue coming to your door? This one is, yes. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah, well. Can't win them all. Can't win it, them all. Coming to a half-price books near me. Pretty yeah. Soon. yeah. <laughs> uh, that brings us to The Flash, number 49, part three of Flash War, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Howard Porter. Uh, we get a, a, a lot of Barry and Wally racing in this issue. And uh, I think it really works. You know, I, I think that it's, it's a device that is obviously used to get a lot of information across to the reader because they're they're having this conversation while they're running. So not a lot actually happens in the issue because so much of the time it's just the two of them running. But there are some really nice moments here. I love Superman trying to join the race and then not, <laughs> yes. being, able to, not being able to do it. Moment of the week across these comics, I think. Yeah. They're running too fast. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was fun. I thought this was, you know, this is very much a middle issue of an arc like this, but it was fun. Yeah. No, I agree. This was good. I um, One thing I did want to say, though, that feels weird to me in light of the Kid Flash story in Titans is how kind of, like, like petulant Wally is being here. I mean, for good reason, but it's kind of funny that he gave Wallace that speech in Titan, Teen Titans, and now we're getting <laughs> the the kind of mirror of that between Barry and Wally. Yeah. But also, again, it just highlights how lousy Barry is because of the whole Flashpoint thing. Yep. Man, I... how, Howard Porter draws, draws a nice... Uh world spanning race yeah 
I also really liked his uh, Zoom Flash costume. Yes, yes, that was awesome. That was an awesome moment. Very, a very Flash moment. Um, and yeah, I liked um, I liked Hal trying to stop them with like the vibrating construct. Yeah. This still feels like a very big event book. Mm-hmm. It does. It also feels like the obvious answer, and we said this last time, but the obvious answer is that Wally winds up in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And Tom King, keep your goddamn hands off my Wally West. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess we're... This will wrap up... Early July, and then Sanctuary starts in September, or Heroes in Crisis, whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So. How much better of a name is Sanctuary, by the way? Much better. For a comic than Heroes in Crisis. Well, it's, it's capitalizing on the classic Crisis stories, Vince. I know, but I don't think but it's this really... But time, this time, it's about the crisis in the mind. Ah... Would you? That's deep. Could you call that an identity identity crisis? Oh boy! Electric boogaloo. But you know, for as much crap as identity crisis deservedly gets, it did jumpstart my favorite era of DC comics. It was kind of the flashpoint, you know. Yeah. As I recently said to somebody on the Multiversity Slack, that I hate uh, Identity Crisis so much, and it has, like, one of the two on-panel appearances of Jack Knight after Starman ended. (laughs) So that's how you know how much I hate it, that 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 doesn't elevate it for me. Uh Uh-huh. Any other Flash comments? Howard Porter's just really good still. He is. He's the god. I did like the reveal of Barry telling Wally about investigating the button. The button. And how how upset Wally was about it. Understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, did anybody open the Hellblazer PDF? No. Sorry. Nope. Alright, moving on. The Man of Steel, number five. Written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Adam Hughes. The penultimate issue of the weekly uh, series. I love, love, love how every issue is starting with the the circle <laughs> in the middle. God, I love little elements like that in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I love, I particularly love this employment of that. The eye looking down through the top of the bottle for Kandor. Yeah. What an inventive way to do that. That's a fantastic through line. Yeah. Uh, some nice Adam Hughes interior art as well. Yeah. Am I the only one? There are some pages that are like the most gorgeous pages that have been in this book. And then there are other pages where I'm like, eh. Yeah. He kind of rushed that. Yeah. I mean, that first opening segment, I guess like the first for I don't know I guess through page through the Faybox stuff uh, up until the Faybox stuff yeah 
is just gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. That yep. shot of uh, Czar punching Superman when it's all in red. Awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Then the stuff the stuff uh, after the Justice League kind of shows up and Superman ends up in the hospital or in the Hall of Justice kind of like health center or whatever, that stuff kind of looks rough to me a little. What is going on with Clark making like what looks like a flash symbol on that metal pan? Well, that's the symbol that he saw on Rogalzar's. Uh, so I can't remember if it was on his like costume his or on his, his weapon. Oh, his dick, you're yeah, right. that's his dick is shaped. Yeah, like, yeah right. okay, you're right. I, yeah. I I just totally missed that the first time through, but I see that now. Yep. Also, I'm really confused because last issue ended with him going supernova. I thought. Superman. Yeah, yeah, Superman. Superman going, yeah, yep. And in, in the Fortress of Solitude. Right, which usually that, like, I mean, I'm being a weird, like, continuity whore right now, but that, like, makes him lose his powers. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think so. Maybe he just got better. <laughs> Yeah. I got better. <laughs> it's just weird how the. I, it's kind of weird how this issue just doesn't really even address the. They're just still fighting, you know. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. I don't. I don't really mind that much, but. Uh, let's yeah. talk about that middle section, the Faybox section. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. John's just like I'm gonna go with him. That's fine. Well, you guys know what's coming next, right? Well, Lois is going to go, too. Exactly. And that's why yeah. they're gone for a while. Which, yeah. actually, I have to say, like, I may not love the device to get them there, but I, I'd read that book. Sure. Lois and John I don't and, think I... and Jor-El, like, uh, traversing the multiverse? Yeah. Can somebody refresh my memory with what happened with Jor-El at the end of the... He literally the did... Story? He literally did like the Poochie died on the way back to his home planet thing. Like, I'm pretty sure it just kind of was like, well, I must go now. <laughs> and, okay, okay. I'm not. Like, I'm not really evil anymore, or am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just really don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have to say, I do like how Bendis is picking up on that and using it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, it's kind of a reassurance for people who thought that Bendis was going to do completely his own thing, that that he's actually repurposing these elements. I mean, that is the that is the uh, Jor-El that we were left with in the Jurgens run, you know? There's no mistaking it. This isn't some... This is Bendis taking that direct confrontation and using it again to... And there was even a little bit that Jurgens put in there about like John being interested in in what Jarrell was doing and yeah Jarrell is his grandpa so it, like that part doesn't read false to me. What kind of reads false to me? Well, I don't know. I feel like Clark would have more to say about it, but I guess he also understands that. Well, if Rogalzar is there after all the Kryptonians, 
then to get John away from the planet entirely might be a, might be a compromise. Wouldn't this happen before Rogelzar? Oh, does it? Like we don't even we don't know. Yes, it, you're I right. I think it does. You're right. You're right. You're right. This is before he's even okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that blows that out of the water. Never mind. Yeah, because the first time Rogelzar touched touches down. Superman's there. Yep. You're right. You're right. Yep. I'm I'm conflating. Yeah. Yep. I just think if there, you know, I understand why Bendis might want to pull John and Lois off the table for a little while to do to establish his own story around Superman because so much of the good Superman stuff in Rebirth has been Lois and John centric. So I understand if he wants to to sort of pull that back and do something on his own. I think if he's going to do that, sending them off-world is something I would never have expected. And even if we never get that book, I just think that there's enough interesting stuff that could happen there to influence future stories. And it also doesn't... We don't need to see Clark, like, you know, try and get over Lois's death or grieve for John all the time. He knows they're gone. He might be worried about them, but he can still live his life while that's happening. It seems like a pretty, actually clever storytelling device. Mm-hmm. Zach, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine. And it, it, you know, it makes sense why we're getting, why um, Super Sons had to end and why it's going kind of the way it is with the flashback thing for a while. And yeah, I think it's fine. I, and I wonder... I wonder how much we will be seeing of the Jor-El, or yeah, Jor-El, uh, John, Lois stuff in either Superman or Action. I would love that to be a backup. Yeah, that'd be oh, really interesting. Yeah. Or even if it was like um, kind of what's, what it seems like we're getting in Justice League, where Tynion's going to come in every few issues and do yeah. uh, Legion of Doom stuff. Or mm-hmm. even just like if, they, if the two annuals during the year are those stories. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting, too. Guys, I never thought I'd enjoy a Bendis comic as much as I'm enjoying this miniseries. <laughs> Just wait till he and uh, Darrington do Batman. <laughs> and none of us can read it. <laughs> yep. No, we can read it if we uh, choose to succumb to our union-supporting liberal ways. <laughs> All right, The Silencer number six, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. Meh? I still don't hate this book, but it's mostly just because of Bogdanovic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bogdanovic's arc is so, art is so cool to me, but I could give a shit less what's going on in the story. Yeah, same. There's a lot of convoluted Leviathan stuff that I don't really want to uh, think about. Yeah. I thought the stabbing of Talia was pretty impactful and kind of the then the drive home with her kid. Yeah. Those were a nice couple of pages, but I didn't care about anything else, any of the other convoluted shit that was being talked about. I just couldn't find myself caring. And they sort of undercut the stabbing by on the next page being like, 
Y'all remember Lazarus Pits, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and they didn't even they didn't even have to remind me for me to immediately think, well, she's oh, just going to go in a Lazarus. Of, pit. of course not, but there's no reason to bring that up in the in the issue. Right. Yes. Yep. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> what else were we gonna say? You just want to? Yep. No, that's fine. You just want to barrel for the door. That's okay. No, I, I want to talk about this issue of the Terrifics, which is the best issue so far. Yes. Number five. Yeah. Written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Doc Shaner. This was really good, even though it did one of my least favorite storytelling conventions in comics. Which is what? Which is telling, like, three points of view or three different stories at one time and showing, like, one panel or a few panels of each story on each successive page. I really oh. don't. I really don't like when a comic does that. I love that though. Oh. In this issue. No, the, that's yeah. You've got like four stories running, and then I loved when like Phantom Girl and Mister Terrific meet up and their panels combined. And I really yeah. kind of hoped that they were going to do that with other characters and just kind of have the like the panel layout shift throughout the whole issue. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really fun design choice. I, I loved it too. I, I get it. I get what they're going for. Trust me, I do. I just, it's a personal thing. I'm not even knocking the issue for it. I'm just saying it's, I don't like it. I I like the issue in spite of that. Okay. It didn't do anything to hurt the issue for me. But like, man, there are times when that's so poorly handled that it's actually like a, it, it stymies the actual reading of the issue. I don't think that happened here. But it's just not what I prefer. But that's that's enough about that. This was a really good issue. It was. It the had, stuff. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Go go ahead. I was gonna say there were a couple of things I really really loved. I loved. There's one panel of Plastic Man. He's on the cell phone, and his legs are walking in one direction, but he's stretching out in the opposite direction. It's just this perfectly constructed Plastic Man panel. It's on page six of our PDF. It's it's so unbelievably good. I think this is the first time Metamorpho has looked. Uh, I think this is the best Metamorpho has looked in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it dealt with sort of the 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 testier Mister Terrific stuff without going over the top like uh, melodrama with it. Everything about this issue really worked. I loved the. Uh... Yeah. I, I'm just going to keep repeating myself. I love this issue. I did want to talk about one background character, but I'll do that after you guys talk. So, Zach, go ahead. Is it the Element Dog? No, but that is fantastic, too. I <laughs> love the Element Dog. Um, yeah, man, Doc Shaner is just killing it here. This is this is a beautiful book. Um, I, you know, I already mentioned I loved the four-panel thing at the beginning. Um you're spot on. Like Plastic Man looked great. Metamorpho looked fantastic. I loved the panel. It's on page 15 of our PDF where you have like the hot air balloon, Plastic Man, and the and the giant wall Metamorpho <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah. Like, and then the next page over where they're like getting shattered or whatever. That that was just so good. And the colors in this issue are just oh, I love it. The greens and the purples, and oh, it looks so good. Yeah, yeah, it really does. 
and the the eel the stuff with eel and his wife were, that I really bought that. Yeah, that's a from his facial expressions to the way she would react on the phone, and then he's got to go all of a sudden again. It was all it was selling of an idea that could only be done in, in superhero comics really well. <laughs> I was in a plastic egg for five years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And she like. I think she like basically understands, but she's still mad about it. Right, you know? exactly. Like, yeah, right. She, she she totally believes his excuse. You know, <laughs> doesn't make it any better. Right. So, here is the background character I wanted to talk about. How well do you guys remember the New Fifty Two Gal Simone uh, Suicide Squad? I, I'm sorry, Secret Six. Secret well, Six. A little bit. Not much at all. There was a character in that that it turned out was Ralph Dibney. Yes. Doesn't the bodyguard that Metamorpho is going to kick the ass of? Doesn't that look like the guy Dibney had like had like uh, morphed himself into? Oh God, I don't remember that. I don't. I don't know. But this is like an established Metamorpho character, though, right? You're talking about the. What, give me a page, Brian. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, I'm looking up something here. Um, page 7, the panel of Metamorpho, the guy who's outside the door. Page 7. Yeah, that's... That's... Yes. I forget his name, but that's like... Um, uh... What's that scientist's name? That's his like assistant. Yeah, Stag. Sim- yeah, Stag. That's Stag's assistant. That's Ben Stag's assistant for like the longest time. I just thought it'd be interesting to bring back Elongated Man in a Plastic Man book. Yeah. Yeah, it would. The hell is that character's name though? He's got like a no idea, man. It's like, uh... it's like Junga or something. <laughs> yeah. Java, Java, <laughs> yeah. Coffee, Java, cup of Joe. Yeah. Um, still mad they're not doing the Ralph and Sue Ghost Detectives that was teased at the end of Fifty Two. Oh yeah, who was gonna write that? Did we know? Me. <laughs> no. Oh um, you. I want to say it was probably Rucka or Wade. Because that seemed like one of them was the main driver of the of that story. Mm-hmm. I think maybe actually now I'm saying maybe it's Johns because it had the whole Superboy Death Cult thing, or Resurrection Cult rather. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was That's Johns. True. Yeah, I don't really know all of the. Um, like I know Morrison was doing the Island stuff, and Rucka was obviously doing the Question stuff. Morrison also did the space stuff, like the Lobo and... Uh... He did, okay. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. The you other know, you, know, you, you, you don't think Morrison wrote Lobo, like, worshipping dolphins in space? Well, that it obviously makes sense, but... <laughs> um, yeah. I need yeah. to read 52 again, since Greg was so kind to, yeah. to send it to me. I have, I've been meaning to crack that open, but... Element Dog. There's so many comics to read. (laughs) I hope Element Dog sticks around for sure. 
Oh, he's got to, right? He he goes with Phantom Girl to wherever she goes. He's yeah. got to be a thing now. Just a super fun issue. Anything else to say? No. I'm trying to remember how long this arc, this specific arc is supposed to be. I think I think it's maybe just one more issue. I think so, yeah. And it looks like Dale Eaglesham or yeah. Eaglesham, however you pronounce it, is going to be on art. Nice. I like some good Eaglesham art. Looks like for the next few issues, actually. So. And, and Shaner did say, because I don't know if you guys saw, he posted on his website about people giving him shit about not finishing that issue of Man of Steel. Uh-huh. And he basically said, like, I had a family situation, and fuck you. And uh, good for him. And he said, you know, no one's more disappointed than I am, but I have a lot more coming up. I have another arc of the Terrifics coming up, and I have a new book to be announced. So, <gasps> Nice. There's, I feel like the DC's about to blow the lid off, because wasn't, uh, wasn't Orlando who tweeted Orlando. something? That it's just gonna like melt our brains. Wait, what did Orlando he, tweet? I didn't see this. Or, Orlando tweeted that he gets to write his dream project for DC, oh, and man. we'll and and we'll learn about it, quote unquote, soon. Oh boy! <laughs> and it's not Justice Foundation. Well, I don't know. Well, we don't know. That might be his dream project. I don't know, I, but I wouldn't think that his dream project would be. I mean, unless he means the concept of his, is his dream, I'm looking for a title. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, And you couldn't... How could you have a dream project of a title that had never existed before? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I could be totally wrong there, but the intent felt like it was something we... Something we haven't even thought of yet. I am, I am not promising anything, but eagle-eared listeners, if you go back and listen to our interview with Steve Orlando... He might mention what his DC like dream project is. I feel like that might have come up when we talked to him. Really? Oh boy, you're you're just you're just trying to get clicks, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. Am I? <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Wonder Woman forty nine. Do we have to? We do. Written by James Robinson. Illustrated by Jesus Marino. Uh, some of the best Jesus art I've seen in a while, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, really, really, really detailed and nice. Yeah, we get uh, a whole lot of death happening all over the world. <laughs> I hated those interstitials. Yeah. <sighs> Just drug the comic down to even further depths. <laughs> um, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's really Z- bad. Zach and I were talking while you were getting some booze or whatever you were doing um, about how it's it's hard to believe that with the success of Wonder Woman and with the Wonder Woman 1984 or whatever coming up, and how they're like. They're ramping up the hype for that already. Because isn't she doing something at San Diego Comic-Con? I believe so, yes. Yeah. It's nuts that this is the book we're getting with this much of a focus on Jason. 
and it's go it's gone on for this long, you know. Yeah, it's bad. It just it needs a new direction. I feel like I'm just waiting for the next thing, the same way I was when uh, Meredith Finch was writing after the Azarello stuff. Yeah. Well, now we know that Orlando is doing at least two months worth of stuff on it. Yeah, that's good. It is good. Yeah, I wish I cared about this more. I just don't. Yeah, I don't care about this at all. This is... Ugh. It's not fun to read. Well, it's time to do our favorite segment, which is looking ahead to next week. Yeah. So, let me run it down for you guys. We've got Batman 50. Mm-hmm. And Catwoman the number wedding. one. The wedding. Yeah. yeah, with Catwoman number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curse of Brimstone, Deathstroke, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, Harley Quinn. Um, Justice League number three. The finale of Man of Steel, Nightwing, Shade the Changing Woman, and The Unexpected. Looks like a good week. It's a big week. Yeah. It's odd that it's such a big week happening on Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah. We're also, uh, it's been a year since the number 25 issues were all oversized and more expensive. And now we're there again with the number 50 issues. Yeah. Did you guys see, by the way, that both Nightwing and Titans are going twice monthly? Yeah. As of September? I did see that, Oh, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, just interesting, that's all. It is weird since they both, or at least, I don't know about Titans, but Nightwing was twice monthly. Yeah, uh, Titans, Titans never was. Okay. So that is interesting. I just thought of a spicy guess for that Orlando thing, but I'm going to save it for off the air. Oh, okay. We'll tease our listeners like that? <laughs> nah. Well, thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it very, very much. You can go to multiversitycomics.com and check out more comic book goodness. And you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at LCD underscore Lounge System. And I'm at Wilker Fox. And... We'll be back next week with our Independence Day Spectacular. I know I'm wearing red, white, and blue. Are you guys? Um, yeah, I'm going to wear that banana hammock that Will Ferrell wore after 9-11 on <laughs> SNL. <laughs> and good night. Is she time traveling? I'm not telling you. If I can all... Uh, media when someone time travels too much their nose starts to bleed oh yeah okay uh, also also cocaine <laughs>